All right. Hebrews. Uh, 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 This is our uh, fifth or sixth installment in Hebrews. We've been through a lot of territory. We're covering uh, chapters 8 through 10 today. So a nice quick sermon um, across three chapters of Hebrews. It starts like this, and I love this, with these words. Hebrews 8.1. Here is the main point. Don't you love it? He's been talking for a while now, this writer, um, all about how Jesus is, more, is better than angels in our understanding. Jesus is better than whatever you, else you valued. Jesus is better than that other thing that you held um, dear. Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than our traditions and our sacrificial systems and than, than the things that we used to hold dear in our religious kind of observance. Jesus is greater um, than that. Jesus is, is greater than the law, you know, the, and the way that the priesthood used to work. Jesus is, is supreme above all of those things. He's been, he's been writing, talking about all of this stuff all the way through Hebrews, and he says this, here is the main point. Here is the main point. You know, when someone's talking for a long time and they can see that they're losing their audience, and they go, look, 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 just listen. If you don't hear anything else, catch this. And here it is. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honour beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. That's the main point. You go, what? (laughs) Um, And then he takes three chapters to explain this. So it was a nice short statement, but it just needs some explanation. Uh, let's, let's get this picture clear first. There's a heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship. Remember in the Old Testament, there's this, in the Old Testament, there's a tabernacle, a, a tent, a place of meeting that has a holy place. And then inside the holy place, there's a, behind a curtain, behind a big heavy curtain, is the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. And that's where the people went to meet with God, where God's presence was manifest. There's a heavenly tabernacle. Um, built by uh, God and not men. And Jesus entered that place and he walked up to that seat and he sat down. That's the main point. Why? Uh, Well, through these chapters 8 to 10, we get some detail um, about what that tabernacle meant to the people and what it was. Um, And... um, he doesn't go into detail. He says, in fact, I haven't got time to go into detail, but he said it was a holy place. Remember the lampstand and there was a, a table and there were sacred loaves of bread and behind that was the curtain and, and that was the most holy place and there was a gold incense altar and there was a wooden chest carved in gold. That's the Ark of the Covenant. And inside is a gold jar with manna representing provision and an Aaron's staff that sprouted buds. That's the miracle thing. And the stone tablets of the covenant, that's all inside the this box is covered in gold, the Ark of the Covenant. On top, there are these cherubim, these angels with their wings that kind of spread to the center. Um, and, and they cover what's known as the mercy seat or the, the place of atonement. or uh, That's where the offering blood is um, sprinkled once a year. Uh, and one person. So there's a room, the most holy place, that is only entered once a year by one person, the high priest, with lots of preparation and ceremonial washing and dressing and, and humbly entering that space to offer sacrifice, blood, 
for his own sins and for the sins of the people. For what purpose? Uh, Hebrews 9.7, only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. And later, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood for without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So this is the purpose of the most holy place. This is why the priest goes in there once a year to seek forgiveness for himself and for the sins of the people to atone for the wrongdoing, for the rebellion, for the sin, as the Bible calls it, for the, for the ways that everyone has said no to their creator. I don't want to go your way, I want to go my way. Not, not, not your way, God, my way. For that sin, for the selfishness, for the damage people cause to themselves and to each other and to the world around them. The purpose of the most holy place is forgiveness. To deal with the one problem that we have, our sin. As Isaiah says, your sins have separated you from God. Um, But, the writer to the Hebrew says, it never worked. (laughs) Chapter 9. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. And the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. And, but instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Because under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. So what was the point of the old system? And how did the people in the Old Testament times experience forgiveness and reconciliation with God if this didn't work? And why did God give them all these instructions and such careful preparations? What was it all for? Uh, Well, they serve in a system of worship, the writer says. They serve in a system of worship that's only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. That's in Hebrews 8, next chapter. It's an illustration pointing to the present time, the physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. And then in chapter 10, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. As you read through Hebrews 8 to 10, you'll go, he said that before, he said that before, he said that before about all of this stuff because it's a repetitive cycle. But he's trying to make these key points. So we've got this shadow, this copy, this dim preview of what? Of the good things to come. A better system. The real one in heaven. When will this better system land? When is the better things to come? When is the real one in heaven in effect? Do you see that in these verses? This is an illustration pointing to when? To to the present time. To, To now. To right now. So this complicated, involved, sacrificial system that had been in place since the Exodus, that's some 13 centuries, is a shadow of something more real. The priest, the animal sacrifice for our sins does no good except there's a copy, a pointer, an illustration of something to come, something our writer says that is here now. I'm just kind of whipping through this 
for the people he's writing this to, they are in that system. That is the system they understand. Like they value that system. They love that system. They've depended on it. It's been handed down to them generation to generation to generation. There's a priest. There's, a, there's the, like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's, that's a big deal where the priest goes and, and through this thing that God set up so that people's sins could be forgiven. These rituals, these sacrifices, they are critical to the faith at a, at a, at a core level for the people that he's talking to. And he's saying to them, it's a shadow. It's a copy. It's just a pointer to something that happens in the heavenly realms. What does it point to? Chapter 9. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands. It's not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Later on in, verse, in chapter 9, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal, if that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he's appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Praise God. When the priests in the wilderness killed an animal and Aaron went behind the curtain with blood to ask God for forgiveness, God forgave him and the people because Jesus died on the cross. This applies forwards and backwards in history. It was a shadow. It was a pointer. When David wrote those Psalms, you know, you know I confess my sin to the Lord. I, I just said, this is what I've done, God. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. This is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before the cross. God forgave him. Why? Because Jesus died on a cross. And it applies backwards in history. And even in the Psalms, the psalmist says, it's not about bulls and goats. The sacrifice that please God aren't bulls and goats. The sacrifices that please God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These things, God, you won't despise. Well before Jesus, um, believers look to God and experience his forgiveness, not because of some blood ritual, but because of what it illustrated, the forgiveness of God bought with blood. Innocent blood freely given. Uh, chapter 10. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Second time in this whole thing, it kind of frames at the start. Here's the main point Jesus went to the holy place and he sat down. And this explains all what was happening in, for three chapters. And then at the end, then he entered the most holy place and he sat down. Hmm. This isn't a place that we can even comprehend. No human help make this. This is the eternal place. This is outside our time. 
This is where things that happen stay happened. <laughs> yep. When do you sit down? When you're done. You know, your work's finished. You think, oh, I'll finish that. I'm going to rest now. And then you sit. This is what the writer's trying to explain to us. Jesus walked in there and he said, done. He sat down. Why does he say he sat down? Why does he frame this whole thing? And he walked into that holy place and he sat down. He did all of this and he walked into the holy place and he sat down. He sat down because it is finished. It's done. In this heavenly tabernacle, if you, if you understand Old Testament kind of uh, ritual, what that holy place meant, you imagine what this writer is saying. There is a heavenly tabernacle. There is a most holy place. There is a, there is a reason for it. It's the forgiveness of sin. It's to remove the barrier that exists between humans and God. There's a, there's a need in there. That is all of our sin and the punishment we deserve. And Jesus walked into that place, that eternal place that existed before this was even created, that will exist for all time. And he walked in with his own blood and he sat down, paid, once for all time. That's what the writer's trying to tell us. This is dealt with. It's done. How can I be forgiven and reconciled with God? Why am I forgiven and reconciled with God? Because Jesus went behind the curtain for me. With his own blood. Why are you forgiven? Because you try hard? You know, because you, because you want to be good? Because you come to church? No, because Jesus went behind the curtain for you with his own blood. And he said, it's done. You know, when, uh, you know this too, when Jesus said, it's finished on the cross, it's finished, what happened to the temple? In the temple, the, the veil, the curtain, got torn in two from top to bottom. Like God just went, done. Why? Because it's open now. Forgiveness is complete now. And it's not hidden and it's not dangerous now because we walk into God's presence. As we read in chapter 4, we have confidence to enter the most holy place because of what Jesus um, has done. One of, the, one of the best parts of my job, um, one of the things I love the most is in the context of hearing, because I hear lots of, people, lots of stories from people. I love hearing people's stories. So um, I sit down with them. They tell me where, you know, their walk with God. And it's a privilege to be able to share in that story with people. But it is amazing to me how many people have forgotten that it's done. Because of the divorce and because of the years of being away from God and because of this addiction and because I'm feel like, like I, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm unworthy or I don't belong or because, all, you know, there's a million reasons that we're not, that we're not enough, that we're, that we're kind of looking in at the real Christians through the window or something. 
And I, I love the moment when somebody realizes, huh, it's done. Like, I can just be with God. I can just go to God. I can just walk in. I can just be accepted. I can just experience forgiveness fully and freely now. But this thing that separates, anything that separates me, that's done. It's gone. There's no separation. It's me and God are, are like we're together. We're, it's real. Uh, there's a realization sometimes that I see happen in someone. And it might be just someone who's never known that before, who realizes for the first time, wow, I'm coming home to God. It is beautiful to be part of. And when someone who's walked with God for a while has but drifted from this awareness or this understanding or this life of coming to God, realizes again, I can just come home to God. It's so beautiful. It is the, one of the greatest privileges I have to be able to remind people and, and watch people come home because it's done. I don't know the answers to a lot of the questions that we have around what we should do with our families that are dysfunctional or struggling or the relationships that are hard or how am I ever going to overcome this mental health or this, or this you know, like a relational conflict or this financial issue. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I know this. Your connection with God, that is no problem. Because sin is paid for. It's done. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not because of anything any of us have done, but because Jesus paid our price. Some of you are going like, Danny, this is Christianity 101. We know this. We know this. And I go, do we? Like, do you? Do I? Then what? Why don't we live it? Sometimes. Jesus, he walked in and he, he says, he sat down. Because um, he's done. Now you think, what is he doing in this picture? What is Jesus doing? He's just sitting but then it says more. He sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then there he waits. He sat down and he waits. He waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So the picture here is Jesus walks in to the heavenly tabernacle, to this place that's existed forever, that's all about the kind of forgiveness that we need. And he just parked there. He sat down. He went, done. Boom, and that just sends waves of possible forgiveness from that space right across the creation. And he's just waiting for people to respond to this never-ending, unceasing flow of provision and mercy and invitation. Come home to God. Come home to God. Come home to God. It's done. All the work is done. It's just time now until the enemy is just humbled. It's already, the battle's already over. The war's won. Can you hear this? Come home to God. Come home to God. Come home to God. It's just emanating from this mercy seat uh, forever and ever. Because uh, by that one sacrifice, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That is, forgiveness is there in God's presence. We come to God first time. We repent of our sins. He just forgives us. Like clean. All my guilt is gone. 
And then we come back and we say, I need help with this issue. And he goes, here's some help. And then we come back and, he's, and we say, um, I don't know what to do in this situation. And he says, just ask me and I'll give you wisdom. And then we come back and just say, oh, I stuffed up again. And, and he just says, it's all right. It's forgiven. And then we come back and, he, and, and we come back and, he, and it's just waves and waves and waves and waves of mercy from the throne room of God. It's done. It's done. Come home to God. Come home to God. Come home to God as we keep coming back, remembering that our sins are forgiven. No wonder in chapter 4 we're told to approach, approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And no wonder our writer says this is the main point. See, Christianity is, and our life, it's not based on a code of ethics or this is what we should or shouldn't do or any sort of rules or list of commandments or anything like that. It's not, it's not that we're more right than anyone else. It is entirely based on this main point. Jesus Christ died for us to pay the price for our sins. And he's gone on into eternity and he's paving a way for us to have eternal life in as much as we trust him. That's the main point. That's who we are. That's who we are today and tomorrow and forever. It's our only hope, but it's every hope. It's our life and our sustenance and our future. Jesus Christ, who paid our price for us. And too often we feel disconnected, disqualified, a bit grubby, out of sorts with God. We stagnate. We stop growing. We feel like we're outside the flock a little, distant from God, like we've done our dash or we don't have what it takes or whatever reasons, our own hearts lie to us, like we think it's something to do with me, like it's got anything to do with me, when the only thing that can ever stop us from full and free life with God is dealt with forever. The Apostle Peter says it like this, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So, in your own heart now, just go, God has given me everything I need for a godly life. And then he goes on to talk about the things that he's given us. We've received all this by coming to know him. He's given us great and precious promises that we can share his divine nature, that we can escape the world's corruption caused by our kind of selfish desires that... That, that, and that we should make every effort to respond to, so that we can get more faith and more moral excellence and, and more knowledge and more self-control and more patient endurance and more godliness and more love for everyone. This, he's talking about maturity here, growing, like knowing Jesus better, becoming holy. You know, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Then he says this, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful be you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting what the moral code is. doesn't say that. Short-sighted and blind, forgetting they have to come to church every week, doesn't say that either. What are they forgetting? What are we forgetting when we don't grow, when we're, when we're, when we're struggling, when we're short-sighted and blind, when we're stagnant in our faith? What are we forgetting? Forgetting with what? Being cleansed from our past sins. We're forgetting forgiveness. We're forgetting that it's not about us. It's about what Jesus did. Like, don't forget. 
Why would we stagnate? Why would we pause? Why would we disqualify ourselves from being intimate with God? Don't forget, Jesus already paid this. You can come home. I was in this counseling session once. I've told you this before. And I was explaining to the counselor all the reasons why intimacy with God was a struggle for me because of my upbringing and my dad and this thing and this other experience I'd had and these cautions that I've, and the pain and all this. I'm just explaining it all. And she said this to me because she knew me well. She went, Oh, this is nauseating. (laughs) Just go in. And I would say to you, just go in to the presence of God. Wherever you are, just go in. Because it's paid. Like, come home if you don't know God. Come home. It's paid. You can know God. If you do, and it's been a while since you've been intimate with God, come back. Come back because it's paid. If you're struggling and stagnant and feeling stale and and broken and whatever, just come home. Come back to God. It's paid. This is the main point. Let's pray. Uh, Our Father, your um, provision for us is amazing. This life that you give us is amazing. We are utterly unworthy. And yet, we are given this life by you. We're just so grateful, God. I pray that you move us from our doubt and our fear and our pride and our insecurity and our sin. I pray that you move us into your presence, that we would come to you and be reminded who you are and who we are and that we just get on with trusting you. In Jesus' name.